Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we all doing out there? No, that's not good enough. You just had a holiday weekend. Come on. Should be good. That's right, Tony. Good. Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, I, I'm pretty excited to minister, man. I'm kicking off a new series. Because, um, you know, the Christmas season has now officially begun. It starts on Black Friday. Uh, Black Friday is a holiday celebrated among the capitalists of America. Uh, except for Canadian Day. And uh, celebrate their capitalist holiday on Boxing Day. Um, yeah, I, I got inspired the other day. And... Um, I, I was thinking about the Christmas series, and it came to me in a moment. And the Lord just gave me this verse and some ideas and, and thoughts to walk all the way through it. So I want to read uh, the verse that you see on many Christmas cards, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. I love this passage of Scripture. Let's read it together. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Somebody say Wonderful. His name will be Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. He said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This wonderful day, we can be here gathered in your presence, and I just pray, Lord, for open hearts, open minds, ready to receive the word of God. We thank you for your precious spirit, which helps illuminate and highlight to us the truths of the scripture. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen and amen. Now, I do like to brag about myself when I was in school, because geography was my favorite subject. Not everyone likes geography, but I was a geography champion, and um, I appreciate certain aspects of creation in the world. And I think one of the most awe-inspiring things I ever saw was uh, on a flight I was taking with Pastor David from Los Angeles all the way over to Israel. And I don't know, sometime around 10, 11 o'clock at night, flying somewhere over the North Atlantic, I looked out at the window, staring all the way south. And from that altitude, you could see like the curvature of the earth. I mean, it was just a beautiful, awe-inspiring sight. And then, of course, you know, we had the opportunity to see things in Israel, to go to Israel. So extraordinary to see those things. I mean, it's historical. It's holy. It's just such a unique experience that inspires awe when you get a chance to see it. There's moments there that took my breath away. Things I saw that I will never forget. So when Isaiah wrote these words, because he got a glimpse of the coming Messiah in all of his glory... He, he, he wrote down this verse. Unto us a child is born, and a son is given. You know, he was born as a child, Jesus was, but as a son, he was given. as a sacrifice for you and me. And he said, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name, it says, will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, the prophets of old foresaw the coming of the Lord. And Isaiah who is often referred to as the prince of the prophets because he wrote in such poetic prose, which I personally appreciate. He saw the divine attributes, the perfections of the Lord. He saw things about basically five that blew him away, his glory. And when you read that verse, what you see are basically five elements of his nature that are going to form sort of the central part of what I want to communicate in this series that he's wonderful, he's a counselor, he's the mighty God. And, and, and all these things are a part of his divine nature. They reveal who he is. So 
we could say that this is going to be a study in Christology. You know, Christology is the study of Jesus. It's the study of Christ. He is, after all, the reason for the season. And what we get to identify are, are these beautiful attributes of his nature, uh, what makes him amazing, holy, wonderful, all these things, they're comprised in it. So I, I want to talk to you this morning and answer, ask that question. What is it that makes Jesus so holy, so, so wonderful, so amazing? Uh, and I could have gone a number of different directions about this this morning. Man, I, I was asking myself that question. Where can I find a passage of Scripture that would highlight what makes him so wonderful? And I could talk about his glory. We could talk about his majesty. I mean, there's so many things that you could highlight. But would the Lord direct me over to the 111th Psalm? I'd never been there before studying this out, but it just came to me. So I'd like us to go to Psalm 111. And I want to highlight, I want to answer the question, man. I like to stick with Scripture. I like to teach directly out of the Bible and answer the question, what is it that makes him wonderful? There's an innumerable number of things, but what I want to highlight and show you this morning is just some thoughts that reveal this wonderful nature to the God that we serve. It says in the fourth verse, let's look at verse four. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. I, I looked this up in other translations of the passages, and it, it uses the word wonderful, which is an awe-inspiring thing. It tells us that his works should be studied by people who appreciate them and take pleasure in them, that they're honorable and glorious. And so I want to highlight his wonderful works. Here, here's the first answer to the question I ask. What makes him wonderful? Verse 4, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Reason number one why he's so wonderful is because he is so gracious. Man, he is so good. You, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You will never meet anybody more gracious than God. He is the most gracious, loving, kind-hearted person you are ever going to meet. And, and that is encapsulated in his nature. Uh, I like the Hebrew word hesed, it's not used here, but it's a word that describes God's goodness. When you talk about him being so gracious, I mean, th 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 there's a lot that's brought into that. His goodness, kind-hearted, tender mercy. Uh, he he's an incredible, loving God. In the New Testament, what it tells us in 1 John 4 and verse 8 is that God is love. He it's his love. It's amazing and awe-inspiring. It even draws you to repentance. And so what makes him absolutely amazing and awe-inspiring is the gracious nature that he has. This is what he said, remember his glorious works. And, and the thing about God that's so gracious is that he gives you things you do not deserve. That's hard for humanity to really accept, figure out, and appreciate because we are so works-orientated. In all the things that we do, we're always trying to prove ourselves. We're striving for things. We want recognition. You feel like you've got to earn things. But with God, it's a free gift. And he gives things out graciously. His, his mercy is just that. It, his mercy is his ability to give you things that you did not deserve. Man, that, that's a beautiful thing about God. I do remember being a rebellious teenager. And I'll never forget how gracious and good God was to me. He gave me things... I did not deserve. He extended mercy to me. I think about myself now as a 42-year-old turkey, as I was telling you about. And I still see certain characteristics that remind me of my rebellious teenage years, if I could be honest. 
That's called the human nature. And in spite of the fact that I sometimes have thoughts go through my mind or actions or things I might say that are not flattering, God gives me what I don't deserve. It's called his mercy. And there's something so wonderful and amazing about that. You know what I like in Ephesians chapter 2? It says that God is rich in mercy. Think about that. He's wealthy in his ability to overlook something in your life. That's a wonderful characteristic. So he's gracious. He's merciful. You know, when we think about the grace of God, what what that really describes is his ability to help you in life. His ability to help you when you're frustrated, his ability to help you when you don't know what to do, his ability to step in and help you in moments where you need him. Grace is that ability, a supernatural ability he's given you. It, it, it's just part of the gifting and the skill sets that you have. It's, it's a natural thing God put in you that makes you part, part of who you are. You know, some of us are graced to do things like organize garages. Come on, somebody. If you needed something to organize, you call me, and I will throw half your stuff away. It's a gift. I can't help it. <laughs> Some people are natural encouragers. They have no problem encouraging, blessing people. You know, other people have gifts of mercy. They can extend it. I mean, it, it's just how God works in people's life. Really what grace is, is it's God's ability to keep you free from sin. That's Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Grace is something that keeps you close to God. It's, it's, that's a wonderful thing, man. He's gracious. And I like what it says in the verse. He's full of compassion. Somebody say, he's full of it. God is full of compassion. His compassion is pity and mercy when he sees you. He, he has healing people everywhere he's heart for you. He, he, he's compassionate. That's why he went around healing people everywhere he went. That's what Jesus did. He's the express representation of the likeness of God. So He went about healing and doing good because he had compassion for people. He has compassion for you when you're down. And he has compassion for you when you're a clown. Because he remembers that we're but dust. He remembers our frame. He knows our struggles and weaknesses. And he was a man like you and I, tempted as we are. And so he understands what it's like in this life. He can relate with you. He has compassion for you. And if that doesn't make you love God, I don't know what will. He's gracious. Man, he's so wonderful. And it's insulting to arrogant people who think they can earn and achieve things with God. And the message of the Bible is that his grace has been extended to you and me. And because of that, we're right in his eyes and we, we, we get to walk with him. I mean, how wonderful is that? He's so gracious. The goodness of God. It tells us that he's gracious and full of compassion. I love that about him. Now let me give you a second thought. I'm just trying to answer the questions of what makes them wonderful. Any number of things, but I'm just giving what the Lord gave me. Look at verse 5. He's wonderful. Here's why. He has given food to those who fear him, and he will ever be mindful of his covenant. You want to know why God is so good? Because he keeps his covenants. He keeps his covenant. In other words, he is aware of his promises. Ever mindful, it says. They're on the forefront of his mind. That means he's not forgotten the words he's spoken to you. He's mindful of them. He remembers the things that he said. He keeps his covenant. That is what Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says about him. That's what Nehemiah said in chapter 9. That's that's what Daniel 9 and verse 4 says. That he keeps his covenants. He keeps his word. What a wonderful God we serve. 
in the Western world, we're not super familiar with the concept of covenants. Even though the Bible is the New Testament, the New Covenant, and the Old Covenant. It's new and the old. And a covenant, what it really is, is a contract. It's a legal binding agreement that you have with the Lord. It's a contract. You know the Bible, the New Testament, is basically a covenant that God set up with Jesus, ratified through His blood, and you and I are joint heirs with Jesus in that covenant, and it's enacted on the basis of faith. And that's, again, what makes him so wonderful is we get to approach him on the basis of faith and grace in the blood of Jesus, man. That's an amazing thing. Listen, God is a covenant-keeping God. He kept the covenant he had with Abraham, with, uh, with Noah. Genesis 8, verse 1. I love this. He's in the ark, and it says God remembered Noah. He had a covenant with Noah, and, and he put him in the ark for the saving of his household. And then you read a little further in Genesis. You're going to come... Uh, to Abraham and Lot. Remember, he remembers from he remembers the covenant of Sodom. It would seem that God cares for your family. So he remembers them. He remembers the covenants he had with Noah, with Abraham. There's another verse in Genesis that says God remembered Rachel and he opened up her womb so she brought forth a child. I said last week the, the ears of the Lord are open, his eyes are on the righteous, so you should never stop crying out and praying to God because he has the ability to answer prayers. Man, he, he remembers the promises and the things that he said. In, in Exodus chapter 2, it says that he heard the cries of the children of Israel groaning in Egypt, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I like what the sixth verse says, that he gave them the heritage of the nations. You know, God made that covenant with Abraham that he would be able to be in the land. And when I think about the faithfulness of God and his ability to keep covenants, do you realize Israel is the greatest example of God's faithfulness that I can point to? 2,000 years, that nation had been wiped off the map, not in the land. But in 1948, when a nation was birthed in a day, God demonstrated that he keeps his covenants. He keeps his promises. He's a covenant-keeping God. Israel is in the land, and it's evidence of his faithfulness 2,000 years later. God did it. That's a miracle to see. It tells you how faithful he is. God kept his word with David. He remembered David. We read in Isaiah 9 and verse 7 that from the lineage of David upon the throne of David, from his body would come the Messiah. So he remembers his people. He remembers his promises like we sang about this morning. He is a faithful God. And what that means is that he remembers you. He remembers me. He remembers the covenant that he has with you. That's the new covenant. He, in that covenant, he will forgive you of sin. Ooh, that ought to make you smile. He will remove your shame. Take it from you. He, he is a God who wants to heal your body by his stripes. The Bible says we're healed. He can heal you upside down from the inside out, head to toe. He can heal your heart, your soul, your mind. He's a healing God. I like how the verse begins here in verse 5. He's given food to those who fear him. That means that he will make provision for you. That's part of his covenant. I will provide for you. I will bless you. If you want to know what we're grafted into, we're grafted into the Abrahamic covenant. That's why in Galatians chapter 3, it says, I've been redeemed from the curse of the law because the blessing of Abraham has come into my life. He will provide. He will bless. He remembers the things that he said in your life. He will take care of you. And all you have to do is simply believe him for it. 
That's how it works. You just believe God. So he is a covenant-keeping God, and that makes him amazing. You believe him? He remembers his promises. He hadn't forgotten you. I know you might be tempted to think that, but he has not forgotten his promises. Now, let me give you another thought that just makes him so wonderful. Here's why I want to serve and worship him. Look at verse 7. He said, the works of his hands are verity. That means they're true. They're, they're true and just. And Scripture says his precepts are sure. This is why I love God. This is what blows my mind. He's along the same lines. He keeps his covenants. But he is also very reliable. This is the reality of who Jesus is. He's reliable. And you can depend upon him. He's there when you need him. I, I think about some things the Bible says about him. It says he's not a man that he can lie. It tells us that he's incapable of lying. It's Titus 1 and verse 2. God cannot lie. And, and it tells us that in, in 1 John 1, 5, he dwells, and there's no darkness in him. And James says that he dwells in unapproachable light, which means he is the essence of truth. Everything he says is sure. What he says is going to take place. He is very, very reliable in life. Uh, faithful and true, fair, equitable, just, that's what he does. And so when I think about times when I need him, he shows up, man, dependable, reliable. I mean, think about all the moments in life when you've needed him, like when you get confused, when you don't know what to do, when you feel like you're at, at a place where, I don't know what the next steps are, I have questions in life. He shows up. He's reliable. First of all, you can go to his word and get an answer for something. The entrance of his word gives light. There's always an answer in the scripture. Sometimes it's a real simple, practical thing. You read it at face value. Things like forgiving your neighbor. When you forgive someone, man, it takes a load off of you. That's just straight in the Bible. Sometimes, though, it's a rhema word from the Lord. He, he quickens you when you come across a verse, and it gives you an answer for something. So when you need an answer, you can rely on his word. You can depend on it. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit working. Because, you know, the Scripture said you don't know how to pray as you ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession. So a lot of times I don't know what to do. I will pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues, and I can't tell you how many times I have got a simple answer doing that. Like, wisdom came to me. You know, the Bible says that when you ask for wisdom, he will give you wisdom liberally, abundantly. And that, that's how I deal with problems around Christmas with my wife, because I need a lot of wisdom to handle these tricky times. You know, I, and, and he'll give me wisdom. A lot of the wisdom means just don't say nothing, just smile and nod. Amen. He gives you wisdom with children. Abundant wisdom. I mean, whatever you need, he's right there. You can get it from a scripture. You can get it from the Holy Spirit. You can ask him for wisdom, and he will impress you with wisdom. Mm -hmm. Man, he's reliable. Uh, when you are not just confused, but maybe when you're in a struggle, you're in a storm, and, and it just feels like the winds are working against you. Man, I've had this happen to me. I, I'll be you know, frustrated. I, I might feel like I've got some tension uh, inside myself, and, and I have felt it's like a, almost like a storm front or like, a, like the Chinook winds. Anyone know what the Chinook winds are here in Montana? And all of a sudden, it gets warm, and I can feel the Holy Spirit blowing through my emotions like those Chinook winds thawing things, and it's like the seasons change just right there. That is his ability to be reliable, dependable, faithful, show up in your life, help you navigate moments when you're frustrated. He will help you. He's reliable when you're weak. That's when he becomes strong. It's amazing what happens when, 
I, I found that the most effective prayers I could pray are often when I just acknowledge, Lord, I need some help right here. I feel a little weak. I don't know what to do. And it's like, man, he, one way or the other, manages to help me get through that. He's reliable. He's reliable when you least expect it. That I found that God will quicken me, speak to me, deposit something in me when I'm not even thinking about it. Like Elizabeth says, washing the dishes, God will say something or give her a little uh, you know, insight about something. Out of the blue, like you weren't thinking about it. Vacuuming the floor. I'm out doing yard work, and suddenly he just kind of quickens something in me. That's reliability. The thing about being reliable is that he is never late on something. I know you're tempted to think he's late, but he is on time. He's got impeccable timing, and he will always show up and manage to help you when you need it. His precepts are sure. Everything he says is true and just. He's fair and equitable in everything he does. That is a wonderful characteristic. I don't know about you, but the people that I like to hang out with the most are reliable people in life. There's a verse in the Bible in Proverbs. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man is like a bad tooth or a dislocated foot. Like you're hobbling around. You can't depend on him. You can't put pressure on him. But God is a God you can put pressure on. He will come through. He can stand up to it. He is reliable. You ever experienced that? Amen and amen. All right, number four. Here is a fourth thought on why he is so wonderful. All right, verse number nine. He has sent redemption to his people and commanded his covenant forever. Now, here, here is what the Lord showed me in this. I was thinking about this. This is why he's so wonderful. Because he authored the plan of salvation. He's the author of it. He wrote Redemption's story, and uh, he's orchestrated it. And the plan of redemption originated in the heart of God. He knew from the beginning of time how he could bring his people out and redeem them. That, that, that's an incredible thing. And Scripture says in Hebrews 5, and again in Hebrews 12, he's the author and the finisher of your faith. He wrote it. He's got you covered from the end, all, from the beginning all the way to the end, man. He has got your back. And you know, uh, the, the story he wrote was such a mystery to the devil that 1 Corinthians 2 says, if Satan had known, uh, this plan of redemption, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Which tells me that God has an amazing plan for your life. A marvelous plan. And sometimes people question that, they struggle with that. I'm just telling you that he has got a great plan for your life in, in his plan of redemption. Psalm 37 says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I, I have experienced this in my own life. I've experienced his goodness and I've, I've sought to follow him, and, and man, he has been so good to me. Uh, you know, I, first of all, I think about, you know, being in the ministry. And God brought me a perfect spouse to help me with the ministry. Because, you know, sometimes in the ministry, you just kind of get sick of people. Like, sometimes I just get tired of half y'all. But Elizabeth loves you, man. <laughs> I'm teasing him for you. Don't take me so serious. Elizabeth loves the people of God. I couldn't have a better her person to, to do ministry with. He put that together. And then he's given me some amazing children. Man, I mean, I got a little mini-me over here in the front row. Uh, it, it's amazing. It's amazing how that happens. God did that. I think about the house. I'm, I bought a home from a hoarder because God spoke to me in a dream to buy it. And I was walking around looking at it, man. He gave me all the things I wanted, like an oversized two-car garage in Montana. Praise God for that. Uh, you know, a yard with a sprinkler system. It's like he had that thing picked out in the neighborhood I wanted after I'd prayed. He knew exactly where it was, man. He, 
He, he had a plan for that. He had a plan. I, I like this old Suburban I'm driving. It's got new shocks. I can go just about anywhere with it with big tires. God knew what he was doing. He set that up. I, I, I am grateful for what he's done. The plan of God has worked out in my life. Now, the thing, the thing about that, that plan it is it gets better the longer you go into it. It's not like a one-time thing. I mean, you ought to think about if he's been good to you thus far. He has more in store for you. The steps of a good man, a good woman, are ordered by the Lord. That means you have a future and a hope in Christ Jesus. Not everything that people go through, though, is ordered by the Lord. You do realize that. Some things you go through, it's like Satan pushing back against you. And a lot of people, man, they'll just sit back and never really enforce their authority or live by faith. They just accept things and make assumptions like it's the devil that's behind, or the, the Lord's behind it. And, you know, the great thing about God, he has the ability to redeem some of these things we go through. He can turn it all for good, even if it wasn't his heart or plan. He's got this miraculous, supernatural ability to get you back on trap like a GPS system. Now, I was in Boston with Elizabeth. Boston is a very convoluted little city. And you got roads going every which way. And, you know, sometimes people get in wrecks or there's traffic jams, but that GPS system can tell you to go over to this road or get on Interstate 95 or the 495. It's, it works you around. And that's what God's able to do with the Holy Spirit. He's able to order your steps. He's able to lead you. And he's able to make for you a way of escape. I like that. Man, he's helped me escape many things. In his plan of redemption, he's got me away from some bad bosses. Come on, somebody. He's got me out of some bad relationships. He's got me away from situations or circumstances that would have held me back and hindered me. But his plan of salvation, as long as I stay on it, as long as I'm walking with him, as long as I'm full of faith and seeking for the Lord, man, he will order the steps and make a way out for me. Man, that's what makes him so amazing. It makes him wonderful. I love that about him. And by the way, his plan of redemption means that he will perfect that which concerns you. That's Psalm 138. The New Testament says it like this. He who's begun a good work will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. What that means is that God is always at work in your life, cutting off little branches that that are not bearing any fruit. He is working to perfect you, conforming you into his image, and that is a huge part of what he does. He's transforming you from glory to glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. So he takes those nasty little attitudes you might have about Christmas, and he cuts them off. He 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 works things in your heart. He works things in your life. Attitudes, problems, frustrations, things that don't bear fruit, things you have no business being part of. And and he's able to remove them if you'll surrender to him. He's at work in your life, bringing about his good pleasure, his will. Man, that's what makes him wonderful. He's always at work in you. That's part of his plan of redemption. He wrote your story. And he who's begun it is going to complete that story. Let me give you my last thought here in verse number 9 again. He sent redemption to his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. And it says, Lord's the beginning of wisdom and good understanding of all those who do his commandments. Let's talk about a fifth reason why he is so wonderful. And it's because his name is hallowed. That, here's the English word, the English theological word we could use, sacrosanct. Set apart, you belong to God, holy and awesome. You know, when the writers wrote the Bible, the rabbis wouldn't even use the vowels in the name of Jehovah because they wanted to treat him as if he was holy. So they spelled Jehovah Y-H-V-H because they were 
and attempt to be reverent with him. That's how you have to approach him. He requires reverence to understand who he is. You know, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, all she could say was, holy is your name. What do you say? She just says, holy. It's a holy thing. Now, I'm going to step out on a little limb. And I'm going to tell you that I think we live in a society that's lost sight of the fear of God. You want to change my mind on that? <laughs> Listen, man, we, we, it's like we, we have people, it's, we have so overemphasized God's love and his goodness that we've lost sight of about the fact that he's a holy God. I found out that when the Bible describes God, it uses the word holy a couple hundred times in the New Testament, and it talks about his love a handful of times. He, he is a holy God. His holiness is what demands a verdict. You know, his holiness is the theological grounds that we can base doctrines on, like eternal damnation, separation from God, the doctrine of hell. It comes from the holy nature of who he is. See, he's a holy God. And as a holy God, it means I'm going to live for him. I want to live for him righteously. I don't want to get caught up in sin. I, I want my life to honor him. Uh, I want to live for him. And and that means that I don't have to give myself over to certain things. You know, I like to shop for Christmas on Facebook. It's probably the only good thing about Facebook is they have amazing, you know, amazing uh, marketplace sales on there. But even scrolling through Facebook on Marketplace, you will come across inappropriate stickers and scenes. And they try to market to using some of the most scandalous things. And, And... Holiness means when I live for him, I don't want to look at that. I want to swipe. I keep looking for something else. I don't have to get fixated with that. Holiness means I don't have to say things that will offend people, hurt people, embarrass people. I I, I understand what that could do. I have self-control because I'm living for God. I I want to live righteously before him. Uh, It means I don't have to overindulge at Christmas and Thanksgiving. I can eat less turkey. (laughs) I can spend less money. I don't have to overindulge and buy everything and get massively in debt on things you can't afford because you have no self-control. I, I can live for him. I want to live. When, when you talk about living for God, that means I want to submit to him. That means you recognize he is in control. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. I, I'm submitting myself to him. He, and, and when you do that, that's where good understanding comes. That's where his blessing comes into your life when you Honor him, love him. Now, you know, the fear of the Lord, I, I described this some time ago. If we could describe the fear of God, it's a beauty that terrifies you. A beauty that's terrifying. That's, that's what he's loving, but he's terrifying. He, he's gracious, but he's holy. And I've described it sort of like when you go up uh, the Beartooth Pass in the summer months. You ever been up the Beartooth Pass? Now, some years ago, I took my grandmother and my mother up there. Grandma's 98 now. Grandma was a younger woman then, maybe 83. And we were up there in my convertible. You remember that, Mom? And the whole time my mother was screaming around every bend, Ah! Like, we're going to die. Until my grandma said, Joni, shut up. <laughs> See, Grandma didn't have a fear of heights, my mom. Now, some people, they don't have a fear of God. It, it's like they, they, they just kind of go through without any thought of, like, I want to live for him. I want to submit to him. I, I'm telling you, he, he is hallowed, and he, he requires that. Think about the last verse here. His praise endures forever. So the reason why we worship him is because that's what he requires. And 
if you ever did get a sight of who he is, just catch a glimpse of him in his glory, you would be like Isaiah was, a man who's undone. And he hit the floor when he saw the Lord lifted high as the king of kings. I'm, I'm telling you, worship is more than some light show, like at a concert, where we put like smoke in the air so people can feel like they're having a holy experience. Holiness is when you really get a glimpse of your need for God and how powerful he is and the fact that he saved you and the sacrifice that he made and who he is will make you want to surrender to him. That, that's holiness. This is the beautiful thing about God that makes him wonderful. He loves you and he's gracious, but he's holy and fearful. Woo, that, 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 that's a God that's almost too hot to handle, man. He's big. He, he encompasses everything. His holy nature is amazing, and it makes me want to love him and serve him more. Amen? Amen. Now, I remember I was in another plane ride one time. Uh, we were flying out of London, uh, Heathrow, and I was flying back to Denver over Greenland. I looked out, and man, it was just so beautiful, but it gave me this terrifying thought like, you know, you feel so small, and out there in Greenland, you, you could end up dead. It's beautiful to look at, but you don't want to live there. You freeze to death. Beautiful but terrifying. Man, there's something about his wonderful nature that I love so much. Now, the wonderful nature of the Lord. Now, maybe, as we said last week, you've never tasted of God's goodness, and you question his graciousness in your life. I know people like that all the time. If they question, you know, if God is good, why did this happen? And I'm just telling you, all it takes is to believe God that he'll be there with you, and he will see you through the end. All you have to do is say, Lord, I believe that you're here with me, You'll see me through it. If you know his word and you understand his will, he will bring it through you. And all it takes is a little struggle and trial sometimes to understand how good and faithful God's been to you. Because sometimes people struggle with that. They don't appreciate how gracious he is when he's good like that. Or a lot of times people think, they really do think this, that God has forgotten about them. Like they're holding on to a promise. They feel God gave them. And then somehow it's like they think he forgot that he said that. They think about him as, as if, you know, he could be questioned, as if his faithfulness will not endure to a thousand generations. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like, you know, he, he's been good in some ways, but not every way. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, man, he's so, so good. He's so, so wonderful. He's so, so faithful. He's so, so kind. He's so, so reliable in your life. And I want to pray that over you. Anyone ever have those questions sometimes you think, man, I don't know. But God will be there right there for you. Mm. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you this morning. Mm. Uh, I want to pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened to the hope of the call and the riches of the glory of God and our inheritance in the saints. I pray that verse in Ephesians over the people of God. I pray eyes to Ooh, like Isaiah, God, give us a glimpse of your glory. I pray, Lord, I pray that as people just sleep in the night, they might even have dreams about you on your throne. I pray, Lord, in moments where we're just going through our day, just catch a glimpse of you by the Holy Spirit and who you are, the bigness, the reality, the fearfulness, the awesomeness of who you are. I pray you make it a revelation of people's hearts and minds. Make it real to us, Lord. We want to see you, Lord. Woo, I pray, Lord. I pray we just catch a glimpse of it and see it in the name of Jesus. You better be careful, man, if you want to pray that with me. He might show up and shock you. But maybe that's what you need to, to get you out of some lethargy. Just a glimpse of who he is, his awesome nature, how good he is. You all believe that? He's good. He's wonderful. You know what's not so wonderful? Black Friday shopping. 
Now, I, I came into work early. I like to get up and get down here. I was going by Kohl's at like 6 in the morning. And there were shoppers everywhere. I heard it got worse by noon. But I'll tell you what, I did find the best Black Friday sale you ever have seen. You know what that was? That Jesus paid it all. He paid it all on that Friday. Purchased your redemption, paid for you to walk with him. I mean, he, he totally took care of that sale and gave you a free gift if you're willing to receive it. And so I just want to give you the opportunity, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, the, the price has been paid. This is a limited time offer. Salvation doesn't go forever. And if that's you and you need to get right with the Lord, I want to have you put a hand up. I want to pray over you. Because it will bring you into his kingdom. Let's pray that. Say, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. Show me your glory. And I receive you. In Jesus' name. Simple prayer doesn't take much. All it takes is sincerity in your part and appreciation for what he's done for you. Mm. Man, God is so good, isn't he? I feel his wonderful nature. Now, let's stand up. I want to thank you for coming out to the house of God. Great to have you out here this day. If you want prayer, we're here to pray with you. I want you to know that we value you, we love you, we bless you. And, and I want to challenge you in the holiday season here. Invite someone out to church, man. Uh, we'll be here on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a great time. We always pack the place out. So much fun to be with you. Uh, if you want prayer, we're here for you. And if you need to get your kids, you can be dismissed. Uh, great to have you out. I, I do feel the, the, the Lord here with us. So if you want prayer, man, we would love to pray with you. I do my best prophesying and praying for people in foyers and at altars. So love you very much. We will catch you all next Sunday. It's great to have you out with us. We love you.